Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. This is the third and final week of Model Marriage. And uh, really quick, I'm going to do this very fast because I've got some stuff I need to share with you today. And so let me just recap in case somebody was not here um, or just to to bring it back to your remembrance. Let Let me talk to you real quick about the first couple of weeks. The first week I read to you from Matthew chapter 22. And I brought your attention to the fact that one day every member of your family is going to stand before God. Right now, in the here and now, your marriage may look like it's in trouble, but one way to to get your focus off the here and now of your marriage is to start focusing on the then and there. And one day, then and there, we're all going to stand before God. And it's our duties to make sure that our families are prepared and ready to stand before God. And what are you doing to help prepare your family for that? Last week, I shared with you that God's design for marriage is oneness, not two selfish individuals. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus reiterates that two shall become one flesh. He, he, he goes back and refers back to the beginning of humanity, the first couple. And he talks about how two become one flesh. And in order to protect the individual, our culture has created marriage to look more like a contract rather than a covenant. And contracts, that's what they do, is that they look out for individual rights. But God has not called us to be concerned with our individual rights. He has called us to be united in our homes. And the enemy is looking for any area of division or separation in your home. And I, I listed a number of those areas last week. And I've had a, a numerous conversations with, with couples throughout this past week saying, I'm so glad that you you gave us that warning because, because that's exactly where the enemy would want to, to come into our marriage and to bring division. And he will look for any area where you and your spouse are separated. No matter what it is, if you're divided on an issue, Satan will use that to destroy your home. And in Mark 10 and 9, uh, Jesus said, Whatever, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate or let no one separate. Not, and I told you, not, no one. That means absolutely no one can separate that. Not a judge. We shouldn't allow a lawyer, a child, or even you. No matter how you're feeling in your current circumstances, don't, don't be that one that separates what God has put together. There was this Roman Catholic girl that was dating a Southern Baptist boy. And after their, that should be the punchline, right? Roman Catholic girl dating a Southern Baptist boy. And after their fifth date, the girl's mom could tell that the girl was just, you know, stricken with love for, for this particular young man. But this was serious to the mom because the mom was a devout Roman Catholic. And so she decided she was going to sit down and have a conversation with her daughter. And the mom told her daughter, she said, we Catholics are not supposed to marry those Baptists. And those Baptists are not supposed to marry us Catholics. It just never works. So she told her, the mom told her, she said, you're going to have to terminate this relationship. You need to break up. And this just devastated the young lady. And so she replied to her mom. She said, mom, it's too late. I've already fallen in love with him. Can't we do something? And the mother, seeing the hurt and disappointment in her daughter's eyes, she thought for a moment and and compromised. The mom said, well, we'll just sell this young man on taking some classes some catechism classes, and we'll make a good Catholic out of him. But then and only then will you be able to marry him. And so the young man was an easy sell because he was willing to do whatever he could 
to make this girl his bride. So he was willing to take the classes. So he took the catechism classes and, and the wedding was planned. The announcements were sent out. The church was reserved. The honeymoon was even booked. Everything was coming together perfectly for this couple. But about one week before the wedding, the young lady came in from a date with her beloved and she just had tears just streaming down her face. And her mom looks at her and she says, what is wrong? What's wrong? And she says, mom, it's all over. Call the priest, call the guests, cancel the wedding. And the stunned mother looks at, at her daughter and she says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't understand. I thought that we did a good job of selling this boy on being a good Catholic. What happened? And the daughter replied, well, mom, you see, that's the problem. We oversold Catholicism and now he wants to be a priest. <laughs> the harsh reality is that most couples and you're going to relate to this in just a moment. Most couples, when they are dating, they oversell who they are and what their intentions are. I, I don't know if there's really anybody in this room that did not oversell who you are. Lady, ladies, you remember the days he would not burp in front of you? We're not even going to talk about other bodily functions. <laughs> he oversold it, didn't he? I can tell you, I can tell you, Mandy, Mandy did not know who I really was when we were dating. I put on my best Rocky. That's what I, I put on my best Rocky to impress her. And I'll be honest, I really didn't know who Mandy was until after we were married. You see, I had no idea that Mandy loses enough hair in one single day on the bathroom floor that I, I'm convinced you could clothe a whole family of neck and mole rats with that hair. Where does it come from? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I had no idea when I married her it was like that. And if we were to be honest, most of us in this room would admit that we married an improved version of who our spouse actually is. Those of you that are Still newlyweds, you're so cute when I say things like that. <laughs> Reality will set in. Because when the honeymoon is over, Prince Charming turns back into the toad. Because he's a toad. And Cinderella's feet don't quite fit the glass slipper anymore, and they certainly don't smell like the feet of a prince's. And Mandy and I, we realized a long time ago that if we were going to go the distance with our marriage, that we would have to rid our minds of our personal expectations of what we thought the other one, who they should be, what they should become. I don't want you to think today that my marriage is a model marriage. God, no, no. We've had our fair share of ups and downs. We all know that a perfect marriage, it would have to include and involve two perfect individuals coming together. And Mandy's just not quite there yet. <laughs> We're getting close, but she's not quite there yet. But even with all of our human imperfections, we as Christians were called to model marriage to the world. And it's things like this in God's word that absolutely blow my mind. Things like we are called to evangelize and spread the gospel with all of our imperfections. He relies on us to do that. And it blows my mind. Because I can tell you, I'm not worthy enough to share the gospel of Christ, but yet he chooses to use me. 
He chooses to use you. Whether you accept the call or not, he chose you to spread the gospel. And for us, those of us in the room that are married, he expects us to model marriage to a broken world. He expects us to display our Christian lives within the confines of marriage in such a way that people would look at us and say, I want what they have. And so start asking yourselves these questions right now. In your marriage, can the world look at you and say, I want what they have? Can they honestly look at your marriage and say, that's a model marriage, that's what I want our marriage to look like because we're called to model marriage to this world. A definition of a model is a system or thing used as, as an example to follow or imitate. Can we honestly say that our marriages are the models for the world to glean from? Do we want the world to imitate us or do we hope that they would have a better marriage than ours? And it's sad because just like the world, 50% of our Christian marriages fail. 50%. It's the same exact percentage that those that are non-believers, non-Christians, their marriages fail 50% of the time and so do ours. We complain to others about our spouses. Why would they want a marriage made in heaven if we fight like devils on earth? Why? And I just think, I mean, honestly, I think one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about helping marriages is because I really believe, I really believe that he wants us to model marriage so that unbelievers come to know Christ even through our examples of forgiveness, mercy. Last weekend, Mandy and I went to the Alusty Festival in Lake City, as I mentioned in one of the services last week. And we all know that the food vendors at these types of festivals are not necessarily the healthiest of choices. You know that, right? I know I'm crushing some of your dreams right now, but, but they're just, it's not that healthy. But I am a sucker, an absolute sucker for kettle corn. Anybody love kettle corn? I don't mean this store-bought kettle corn that, you know, you, you're, you're walking through the store and you see a bag of kettle corn that was made three years ago and it finally made it to your grocery store. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about kettle corn cooked at the festival. I'm a sucker for it, man. I love it. And there's this one particular vendor I know where he always sets up at the Olusty Festival in Lake City. I know exactly where he's at, and they make the best kettle corn. And so we bought two big bags of kettle corn to bring home. One was gone within just a couple of days, and the other one would be gone, but I was gone over the weekend. And so it will be gone probably by this afternoon. I'm a sucker for it, man. I'm telling you, I love it. But I also like, at these festivals, I also like good fresh squeezed lemonade. Anybody ever had good fresh squeezed lemonade? I know a couple of years ago, man, at the, um, at the watermelon festival, there was somebody that set up right next to us and that guy made some of the best, best fresh squeezed lemonade. I'm not going to say that I, I, you know, dipped into our profits any, I didn't take any money from the church, but I was more than willing to trade some of the meat that we were cooking for some fresh squeezed lemonade. I'm just coming clean right now. Confession is good for the soul. 
And I figured I'm safe right here in front of everybody, but I love good, fresh squeezed lemonade at these festivals. So, so the other day I found this vendor, I was walking by and I saw this vendor that was selling fresh squeezed lemonade and I ordered a large ice lemonade because if you order the large, it get, comes with a special cup and you get a discount on the refills and, and I'm all about discounts and so, and I'm all about fresh squeezed lemonade. So this is going to be great. And so I stood there and I watched them prepare it. You know, they, they have those, those neat little, con, you know, machines, those little contraptions that squeezes the lemons and all that kind of stuff. And they did all of that stuff right before my eyes and man, it looked legit. It, it was right. And to this particular novice right here, it looked like they put all of the necessary ingredients needed for a good cup of lemonade. I mean, it, it really looked good. And, and so I got my cup, it's, it's ice cold and I'm, I'm walking and, and I'm going to find Mandy and, and I take the first swig of it and man, it is just sour. It is, it is sour. But I endured it because I believe if I pay for something, I'm just not going to throw it out, you know. And so I endured it and, I, and, and it didn't get any better. It just stayed sour. And because I'm a cheapskate, a little bit later, my cup is empty and I'm walking back by that same particular vendor and I realize I can get a refill for, for a pretty good price. You know, it's cheaper, it's cheaper there. I'm telling you, I'm just a cheapskate. And I was willing, it wasn't good, but I was willing. And so I, I handed them my cup and one large lemonade and she gets over there and she starts doing it. And somebody else, somebody different is making it this time. And as I'm watching them add in all of the ingredients to make this necessary cup of ice, fresh squeezed lemonade, as I'm watching them do it, I noticed that she added in an ingredient that the other guy didn't. He's a moron. I mean, I, we can't help it, but, but he just left out probably one of the most important, uh, important ingredients besides lemons. I mean, it, this was so, because as I watched closely, she put in a, a couple of shots, hold it, a couple of shots of some sugar water concoction. I don't know exactly what it was, but I'm convinced it's laced with crack and made in heaven. And it is <laughs> tremendous. And, and they didn't add it the first time. They did not add it the first time. And this time, as, as I took the straw up to my lips, perfection entered my mouth. It was phenomenal. It was the perfect, perfect cup of ice cold fresh squeezed lemonade and that one ingredient made all of the difference. One ingredient made all of the difference. What was it? One ingredient, just one, say one ingredient. Some of you just don't like being told what to do. Will you please say one ingredient? One ingredient made all the difference. And church, I'll submit to you today that most of our marriages are one ingredient away from being a model marriage. That's it. Just one ingredient away. We would have everything pretty close to how it needs to look if we just had this one ingredient. And in fact, without this one ingredient, we're in trouble. Without this one ingredient in our marriages, we're in trouble because most marriages don't struggle from a lack of love. They struggle from a lack of grace. Grace, that's that missing ingredient that, we, that we we're missing in our homes. Grace is what's so important. How many times during a counseling session have I heard, I love her, but I'm not in love with her? If one more person comes to my office and says, I love her, but I'm not in love with her, I'm going to kick you right in your rear because that is one of the dumbest statements I have ever heard in my life. You've heard me say this. The kingdom of God is based on, on Judaism and, and, and Judaism operates in rhythms and there are moments when we love each other more than we do at other times, but just stay true to it because the rhythm is coming back around. 
You may not be in love, but give it some time. Because you're going to be in love again. You just got to be patient with it. How many times have I been sitting there and she says, I love him, but not like I used to. Well, I've got a pretty good marriage and I love her, but not like I used to. Thank God I don't love her like I used to. I love her more. But I love him less. Well, just hold on. Hold on. Because you're missing a key ingredient. Because love is present often in our marriages, but grace is found lacking. And the things that hurt or disappoint us the most in marriage are caused often because of an absence of grace. If you walked into this room today struggling in your marriage, I'm telling you, one of the areas that you are missing or one of the ingredients that you're missing is grace. And ironically, the relationship in our lives that that most needs to be saturated in grace is the one in which grace is the most least expressed with my spouse, with your spouse. They need grace the most. Trust me, my wife needs grace the most out of anybody in this room because she has to live with me. We often show more grace to our coworkers, our friends, or even our pets than we do to the person with whom we agreed before witnesses to share a bedroom, a bathroom mirror, and a credit card with. True story. My wife can make one small change, one small change to my favorite dinner that she cooks me, spaghetti. She can make one small change, nearly 20 years in our marriage, and if she makes one small change to the ingredients of that perfect pot of spaghetti, I will look at her like she has lost her mind. I don't say it, but my look says, how dare you mess with perfection? I'm serious. Mandy, some of the the, the most troublesome moments we've had in our marriage is because she messed up spaghetti. I'm not kidding. You think I'm joking. And I look at her and I go, don't change it. When I like it, don't change it. You know this is my favorite meal, my favorite dish. Don't change it. And and I have been, at times, I have been mad for the rest of the evening because she changed one ingredient in spaghetti. But my dog, my dog can walk to the middle of the living room, squat and take a dump in the middle of the floor. I just said dump in church. Take a dump in the middle of the floor. I will go over there, spank her on the butt, act like I'm gonna rub her nose in it, but I don't really do it. Pick it up, clean it up, and within 10 minutes, I'll let that dog jump up in my lap and cuddle up with me. But I don't have grace when she leaves one ingredient out of spaghetti or changes one ingredient in spaghetti. You see how we mess it up? The people that need grace the most in our marriages are the ones that receive it the least. God's Word uses marriage as an analogy to describe God's grace. And vice versa. Don't miss it. Because the Word uses the love of God to teach us how to model marriage. Very familiar verses, Ephesians chapter 5. If you've been in any type of Bible study, if you've ever heard me preach on marriage, you have heard these verses. And I'm not going to stay here long, but I want you to see how 
Our marriages are designed to model God's grace and mercy to this world. And, and it's not just one spouse or the other. It's a mutual submission that has to take place to the needs of the other. Before you walk out of here, men, and you start thinking you have the right to lord over your wife, you need to open up Ephesians 5 and really read what it says. Because Ephesians 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So be imitators of God. That means we're supposed to act like him, look like him, walk like him, talk like him. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Then you go down to verse 21, and this is the one that messes most of you men up right here because it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a mutual submission that has to take place. That means there are things in my life I have to submit to Mandy and things in her life she has to submit to me. And then it starts walking us through the roles and what they look like. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But listen to this responsibility. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, how often are we giving ourselves up for our spouse? How often will we extend grace into their lives because they need grace, but we're too prideful and we want to hold on to, to the offense against us. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There it is again. It was in Genesis, Jesus taught it. Now, now Paul's saying the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, that each one of you love his wife as, his, as himself and let the church see, or let the wife see that she respects her husband. Man, all throughout those scriptures, it, it, it just flips and flops from here's the responsibility of what you are to look like as a church and what you are to look like as a spouse. And he says, there's really no difference in that. That if you are the body of Christ, this is how you are going to treat your spouse and it's gonna be a mutual submission and, and you're gonna look out for each other and you're gonna offer grace to each other. In other words, you model grace to the world through your marriages. And he puts that responsibility on us. And, and so listen, as we close this series today, and Joe, I'm almost done, so you want to get up here. As we close this series, I want to refresh our theology, and then I want us to apply it to our marriages. Some of us just need a, a, good, a good refreshing of, of what we believe and why. And, and today, I don't know why, but God just seems to be bringing us that direction. Why do we believe what we believe? And, and it's important that we be reminded today of our salvation and how we obtained our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I promise you, your marriage has to reflect that. Your marriage has to look at that. And so think about it with me. Let's just, let's just dive into theology just for a moment. Romans 11 and six says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Man, Ephesians two and eight. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Titus 3 and 5. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy. These verses I just shared with you. It's what we talk about when we, when we say you, you can't make it to heaven off of your good works. In other words, you can volunteer all you want to around a church, but unless you have the right relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't see heaven. You don't get to experience eternity with the Father. You can't get there by being good enough. What we believe as a church, it's faith-based salvation, not works-based salvation. Now, no, this just took a, a swing, and you're like, what does this have to do with my marriage? Where are you going with this? Understand, our salvation was not obtained by anything that we had done. We didn't have to dot all the I's, cross all the T's to enter into a relationship with Christ. He paid that price for us, not by anything that we had done. And even after we were united to him uh, through faith, his grace, not our works, kept us in relationship with him. And the point is this. We didn't do anything in our relationship with Christ to obtain grace. So why do we expect our spouses to jump through hoops to obtain grace from us? Why do they have to get it right all the time? They're human. They're imperfect. And they're going to mess up no matter what bill of goods they sold you before you got married. My concern is that many times our marriages are works-based. We often hold our spouses hostage to their good deeds, their good works, and if they do what we want them to do, then we love them. And you have to understand, this is not the love of Christ. That is selfishness. And if they don't do what we think that they should do, then the love grows very thin. If he spends more time with me, then I'll love him more. If she is more intimate with me, then I'll love her more. If he helps around the house, if she fixes herself up, if he, if she, if he, if she, and it's this never-ending cycle, and it's a works-based marriage. And church, this is conditional love, and that's not the love of Christ. And if we're not careful, we will reserve our expressions of love for only when our spouse gets it right. When our marriage was in the most desperate of moments, neither one of us would give an inch you look at our lives today and you think Mandy and I have just always had this thing figured out but man I'm telling you early in our marriage we walked through cancer together after that we right after that we walked through the birth of twins and right after that it was hell on earth And neither one of us wanted to give an inch. We didn't want to give in. We didn't want to extend grace. Mandy wanted a husband 
who was physically present at home with, with her and the children and, and in the name of, of church and ministry, I was doing everything I possibly could to not go home because all we were going to do, I thought in my mind, we were just going to argue all the time. I wanted physical intimacy when I was at home, <clears throat> but because we were both hard-headed just enough, neither one of us wanted to extend grace to the other. And all we needed, all we needed was just one to give in, just, just a breakthrough. That's all that would happen. But unfortunately, we were, uh, or we were, we were captured rather in this, in this catch-22 of, of marriage is what it was. And neither one of us wanted to give in at all. The moments when we were together, all we would do is sit and argue about the faults and the problems that we would see in the other one. And so I just simply just didn't want to come home. I know what you think, man. I, I know what's going through your head right now. When I am there, all she wants to do is argue about how much I'm not there. That was our lives. That's what we did over and over and over. Till one day God spoke to my wife's heart in so many words, he just said, extend grace to him. And my wife started loving me even when I didn't deserve it. I'll be the first to admit to you today, our marriage was saved because of undeserved grace that flowed into my life from her. It didn't happen because of me. It happened because of her. She started loving me even when I didn't love her back. That grace led me home. Because what started happening is I wanted to come home more. I wanted to be around her. I wanted to be around the kids. And it wasn't just because I wanted physical intimacy. It's because it was enjoyable. She was laying aside all of her fears, wants, desires to create, to create this atmosphere for healing. And because of her grace, my heart towards her began to change. Our spouses should be the first on the list to receive grace. Our lives should be a conduit for God's grace to flow through our lives and to the lives of those that matter the most. I'm telling you, I didn't deserve grace in our marriage. The Romans 5 and 8 reminds me, but God demonstrates his own love for us and this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Mandy demonstrated her love for me. That while I was still angry, upset, 
entitled. She died for me. You didn't deserve his grace, but you got it. And your spouse may not deserve your grace, but they need it. Some of you are here right now and you don't have the strength to extend any more grace to your spouse. None. You're out. You are absolutely graced out. So on a bus ride home yesterday from Gainesville, Georgia, I said, God, show me what to do for these people. And he reminded me of Romans 5 and 20. It says, where sin increased. And think about that. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Then he led me to 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You may be graced out, but I can assure you the God that you call God has plenty of grace, amazing grace. The selfish side of us says, what's in it for me? Pastor, what's in it for me? And though grace is not really about us, grace is about extending it to someone else, I understand we need incentives. And the kingdom of God is all about incentives. Give your heart to Christ, you get to spend eternity in heaven. It's about incentives. Galatians 6 and 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I promise you, if you become that conduit of grace to your spouse's life, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Your harvest is coming. Don't walk away from the field too soon. And so at the risk of messing up an absolute masterpiece, I want to change a few words to a classic song that I believe best describes a grace-based marriage that walks us away from a works-based marriage. That's what we expect. And so I went to the third verse of Amazing Grace, and I simply just want to do this. I just want to change the personal pronouns to plural pronouns that speak into our marriages. And so the words become this. Through many dangers, toils, and stairs, many dangers, tolls, and snares. We have already come. Tis grace has brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. And so it hit me. There will be a day where either Mandy or I will lay the other one into the arms of God. My job is to extend grace. And when I don't have any more, his grace will be sufficient. 
and his grace will prove to be efficient all the way to the end of our love story. Will you allow your grace to carry your spouse home? Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.